Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is the Serum Archaeology Podcast. It's the show where we pull back the veil of cultural resources management archaeology and discuss the issues that everyone is concerned about. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 266 for June 14th, 2023. I'm your host, Andrew Kinkella. On today's show, we talk about your host, Andrew Kinkella. It's all about me and my life in CRM. So prepare to laugh, prepare to cry, and prepare to maybe learn something because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. So welcome to the show, everybody. Joining me today is nobody. Yeah, I am solo and going it alone. So if you're a fan of Chris or you're a fan of Bill, you might be a fan of Doug or you might be a fan of Heather. No, not for you today. Just me. So why am I going to do this? Well, every so often the co-hosts, you know, we might need a moment where we can't record. And Chris couldn't quite make it today. So I thought, you know what? I'll just do a solo show. And I hope in the future that some of the other co-hosts do this as well. And what I'm going to do is just go through my experiences in CRM archaeology. It's a chunk of my life that has a fairly precise beginning, middle and end. And I thought we could just go through it. And learn as we go. I'll point out good things that happened to me, bad things that happened to me, and kind of what I learned from it as I went through this experience. I really do enjoy looking back on that time. And I know for a lot of us, we can be kind of grizzled and kind of negative about some of this stuff. And you know what I mean. But there are even parts that I miss, you know, and I am not here to say that CRM has left my life forever because I think, honestly, it probably hasn't. Because if we look at jobs, there is going to be a lot more jobs in the coming decade in CRM and ever less in academia and in that part of the world. So 
just to jump in, what is my life in CRM? Well, I would divide it up into three chunks. The first chunk was at the end of my bachelor's degree experience. And I'll give the years of this, too, because sometimes it actually matters. I graduated in 1995 with my bachelor's from UC Santa Barbara. And even by then, I'd had some experience. And it was largely because of a professor of mine who taught CRM focused archaeology classes. He had a field school that was on Saturdays only. And so for my own students, I've copied a bunch from how he taught. So I got that skill set in college, which was really something that gave me a push forward or an edge on other people. I also worked in the archaeology lab on campus, and this was a CRM angled one. I got paid while I worked in the lab. So me and my fellow students got this really, really good experience. On top of all that, the university at the time was connected to some projects that were basically CRM projects. So the students could kind of work into that world. So after I graduated, I was able to get jobs just based on connections I'd made in class. So that was really great. And that was my sort of first stage of CRM, which was the learning of that stuff. And then my first jobs. Now, I sort of marked this my first stage out of three because I had a lot of downtime. So this is in the years when I'm in my what, like early to mid 20s. I was a lifeguard at a local swimming pool. I had just sort of odd jobs, the kind of jobs you have right out of college. But every so often I would get like a two week CRM gig. And in that time, it was largely at like local military bases. The gig, I think my first gig, it's so funny. I can't remember my first job, but I think it was at Vandenberg Air Force Base which is, for those of you who don't know, maybe an hour north of Santa Barbara. And a while after that, I also got a job at Camp Pendleton, which is the military base down by San Diego. It's just north of San Diego. So my first forays into CRM were on big projects and excavation, shockingly enough. You're like, what? Because usually... Or often, I should say, I think we get into CRM, we get hired, and then our first job is monitoring or something like that. So I kind of went in a backwards way. I was on big projects that were full-on excavations. It was very much into shell midden and that kind of thing. It was long, backbreaking work. And I remember doing as much as a meter a day, which is crazy, 10 centimeters at a time. And at the end of the day, digging a meter. You know, it was uh, hot, tiring. I remember at the end of my first day, I just collapsed into my hotel room. Basically, I, I remember falling asleep at the foot of the bed. I was actually sitting on the floor at the foot of my bed, kind of watching TV. And I just fell asleep for hours, just sitting uh, with my head on the side of the bed. So I was really exhausted. But as you guys know, you get into it, you get into the groove. And I really liked in those early days that I was able to sort of learn the skill set and also get over some of the fears 
I remember being so afraid my very first day on the job, like, oh, my God, I don't know enough. Oh, my God, am I going to be able to handle this? But fairly quickly, I realized, oh, oh, okay, this is very doable. Because I think many of us do. We kind of survey the scene, right? And you go, okay, okay, I fit in here. Because unfortunately, sometimes you'll see fellow crew members who are maybe not that with it, you know, and not that professional. And that's the first thing I learned. Be a good employee. Do the basic stuff like get there on time. Be clean. Now, I know you don't have to wear a tuxedo, right? We know that. But like be presentable. You know what I'm saying? Shave sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Be ready for the job, right? Have enough water to drink. Have your lunch ready. Have your paperwork. Have a good idea of where the day is going to take you and be ready for that day. And I know it sounds cliche, but I learned early on on those jobs at those military bases where, hey, if I can just be professional and get up on time and be ready and also be generally a jovial, positive addition to the crew, I can go a long way. And I do think that the crew chiefs and the people above me did notice that I wasn't over the top. I wasn't like some go getter all the time. But I think they just noticed that I was solid and I did good work, you know. And so that helped because even in those earliest days, I remember being asked to stay on. And you guys know how this goes. That first job was maybe in the in the fall. Let's say it was in the fall. I mean, I had one or two tiny jobs in like 1995. By 1996, I had this one that was that was maybe in the late fall. And I was asked to stay on to work in the lab. So that's like more pay. You stay on longer. You're part of like the elite lab crew. And then I worked in the lab, which happened to be in downtown Santa Barbara. That experience was very tough. We were really we were in there all day just weighing and sorting shell. It was pretty damn brutal. I would say it was one of the worst jobs I've ever had in archaeology. Oddly, it was one of those companies where they had barely any basic field people like me and my friends. There were only four of us in the lab, but they seemed to have a lot of higher ups in the office. And it seemed like all the higher ups in the office did was spend time figuring out how fast we were going. And I got to the point, even in my young brain, where I was like, why don't you guys stop doing this and get a seat next to me and sort some shell too? And I had that job maybe for a couple of weeks. And then at the end, I remember getting fired. And this is also what happens to all of us in CRM. No, not fired in a bad way. Just like, hey, don't come in next week kind of thing. And I remember that the higher ups who came in to talk to us made up some BS story. It was like, dude, just tell us you don't have enough work. They So at that point, they only kept on two people. So I was able to make it all the way through, looking good on the crew, good enough to be working in the lab. But then I wasn't quite good enough at the very, very end. I didn't make the final cut. Right, I was in the final four, but I didn't make it to the final two. And they, I think they made it so the two who actually still had the job had to lie to us and say they were fired too. And I ran into one of them a couple of weeks later and he was going to the job. You know, it was just, it's so silly. There's another learning experience. Just be honest. People appreciate honesty. 
like I would have totally got it if they were like, hey, look, the work is dwindling because I knew it was dwindling. We all knew it was dwindling. You can see the baggies of shell get smaller. So I got let go, which was fine. And that overall experience was a was one of a lot of learning. After that, again, I had other gigs. I, I would get these like uh, 10 on and four off gigs for maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks. But then that would be it. Like six months would go by and I, I wouldn't have it at all. So, again, this first stage, which really takes me through maybe 1998 or 1999, the first you know four-ish years of my CRM experience was just nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, hey, there's two weeks. You want to come? But it was, a, it was a time of learning. I remember going out to Blythe which is on the border of California and Arizona on a survey. So this wasn't uh, excavation. I'd already done that in, in the CRM world and that's great. So now I got to do survey in the CRM world. This was desert survey. It was between Blythe and Yuma, Arizona. And again, I think I was out there for two weeks, you know, maybe two and a half, something like that. It was short, but that was a great learning experience too. And it was more the same of like, just be professional, be on time, know what you're doing work well with the crew members. I really, again, learned a lot on that. How to even just pace yourself in a desert environment. You know, you have to kind of come up with that pace that I think we all know who have done it. You can't start out super fast. You will just wear yourself out. You start to learn how to conserve your body in various CRM worlds. So after that, I got to the point in my life where I'm like, you know what? I think I'll stay in this world. I think I'll get a master's degree. And so I started my master's degree right around that time, too. So there's two years there, 98, 99 or so, where I was really in school a lot. So I didn't really do too much CRM. But then near the end, and we all know this, if we've gotten a a master's degree, there's the point after you take your classes where you're only working on your thesis. And so you have a lot of free time. And so at that point, which was, let's say it's in early 2000, I was like, all right, I need money. I'm going to go into CRM like full time. So I cold called one of the CRM firms, a new one that I hadn't worked for before. By that point, I'd worked for several firms and I kind of knew that I preferred small firms to big ones at that point in my career. Now, there are pluses and minuses to both of those. And I think we've even done entire shows on this podcast, you know, the big firm versus the small firm. There's a lot there to kind of unpack and discuss. So I'm not saying that small firms are best or whatever. But for me at that time in my career, a small firm was better. So I'd heard really good word of mouth about this one firm. And I just cold called them. And I was like, hey, so I'm an archaeologist, you know. I'd like to send you my resume. And I was wondering if you had any work. And foolishly, I started to brag about, oh, and I've worked in Belize, you know, five times or whatever I had at that point, (laughs) because that's what my academic master's thesis and all that kind of stuff was on. I think I just kind of had that on my brain a lot. And they were like, yeah, that's great and all. But uh, do you have any local experience? You know, and then I'm like, oh, Yeah. And then I talked about my CRM experience and specifically my experience back at UC Santa Barbara with my professor. And that it was I can tell you it was the professor's name that I could drop 
plus that I'd had several field experiences and that's what got me into the door. And they were like, yeah, send your resume. And then soon after I was in it, right? That was the second stage of my three-stage CRM process where at this point, I'm a full-time CRM archaeologist for about two years there. That was 40 hours a week, plus overtime, depending. And this was monitoring. So I came to monitoring a bit later. Now, in terms of what that job was like and what I learned, we'll talk about that when we come back. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello, and welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 266. And I am your host and solo adventurer, Andrew Kinkella. And we've been talking about my past in CRM. And we are now at stage two in my three-stage CRM life, which was my full-time real job that I got from one of the smaller firms in the LA area. Now, this was a another learning process, right? And this was sort of the, you're a full-time employee this is how to deal on a project that lasts months and months, if not years. So I was the monitor on a big project in downtown Los Angeles, which took up six separate city blocks. And these blocks weren't contiguous, right? They weren't stuck together. Each block was like a mile away from the previous block. So it was six city blocks along a straight line that crossed downtown Los Angeles. And so I was the lone monitor for six city blocks. <laughs> and that is a shocker, right? And what were they doing? What was this project? It was a huge storm drain renewal project, massive, multi, multi million dollars. I do think it was the largest public works project at the time that the city of Los Angeles had ever undertaken. So this is massive, right? And you guys, I learned so much from working on this, right? At this point, one of the many new aspects I learned besides how to monitor well and how to pick where to monitor and where to not monitor was dealing with like city bureaucrats, the city system, the bureaucrats from a big business system. So that's an entire new portion, right? You're not just out in the desert digging one by one. Now you have to be a representative. You know, there would be a meeting. I forget how often, let's say once every two weeks, it might even been once every month. But I remember going into the meeting room and having to sit there with like, like major city bureaucrats and major company members from this big multinational company that was doing this project and sitting there and have to having to listen to, okay, what's the project going to do? Where are we going forward? How far behind are they? They're always behind like 40 days or 50 days or whatever. That's just par for the course. 
But that was a learning experience too. And that was like, again, be professional. Now you can come into those. You're, you're going to need your like orange vest and hard hat and all that stuff. You're going to need it during the day, but I would make sure to wear better clothes underneath my hard hat and orange vest. You know what I mean? Again, not my tuxedo, but Hey, I'm wearing like a button down shirt that I can also deal with in the field, or I'm bringing something in my car to kind of have a quick change in my car to just at least wear a better shirt. Hey, I'm wearing my good jeans, you know, Hey, I make sure I'm shaved and that kind of stuff just to look presentable because you'll find in meetings like that. So often people listen with their eyes, you know, and just if you look professional, it really gives you a leg up. So there were aspects of that job. Again, it went on for the better part of two years that were tedious, brutal. You guys know how it is. It's just it's like just another day and I'm watching huge equipment dig this hole where there's just not going to be anything. And you have to figure out at that point just how to keep yourself going and how to stay positive. And I don't mean over the top positive. I just tell jokes to myself. I find and I think I'll touch back on this, that you have to have a focus. You got to kind of know where you're going in the grand scheme of things. So if you have something that feels kind of dead end, which monitoring can, let's be honest, you're out there and you're just watching. You're like, why am I here? What am I doing? It's not as bad if you're like, you know, well, I'm going to like go into this meeting at the end of the week with these big wigs. I'm going to like learn more about how the city works. And I'm all, I'm going to use all this knowledge later to get higher, a higher up position in CRM or whatever it is for you, like your grand scheme plan. Do think big. I'm going to use all this knowledge to move myself forward. And where is that forward momentum? Where are you going? More on that later. So I'm dealing with these six city blocks and Thankfully, on any given week, they'd only be working at like two or three of the squares, not all six blocks. But I had to make choices. Like, where do I stand? Where is the most possible chance of artifacts coming up? Oh, and I will say that the record search didn't bring up much. This is downtown L.A. The stuff's been all messed up for generations. But I did notice that one square was a bit closer to water, right? I think it was closer to the LA River or something. I can't remember. But I'm like, okay, that one. It's closer to water. Most likely sites will be there. I'm going to focus most of my time there. Let's say that was block six. You know, I'm going to stay most of my time on block six. I remember in the morning what I would do when I would get there, I'd drive to each block. I'd drive to like block one, I'd get out, I'd walk around, drive the extra mile over to block two, get out, walk around and do that. And then I would land at whatever block I they were working on or the one that I thought had the most possibility. Now, as the year went by, I basically found nothing for months and months and months until I did. And when I would go to those meetings with the city planners and stuff, they would all joke at me and chide and be like, oh, Kinkella, what if you find anything? You're going to keep it on Antiques Roadshow? Huh? You're going to put it on Antiques Roadshow? And I'd be like, Ugh, yeah, whatever, dude. But about, let's say, four months in, I was watching them dig at like block six and they're taking up this dirt and there's nothing, 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 nothing as there is every day until a mono comes out and rolls down the back dirt pile. And of course, as those of us in this world know, my reaction wasn't like, oh, great. My reaction was, 
Oh, no. So I put my hand up. I put my fist, you know, to stop construction. You got to stop. The construction guy got out of his machine and got really pissed at me. But I don't fault him because as we know who work in here, construction is all about time and going fast. And I'm messing up his time. But I was able to get the foreman over. I told him what was up. He understood. I blocked out my little 50 foot circle. And then to my pride, the firm that I worked for, we came up with a really good, really fast plan for mitigation. We just had them dig with much smaller equipment as we kept looking. And ultimately, it was just an isolate. It was just a mono just by itself. And so that was fine. And that was great. And it was an excellent, thoughtful, balanced plan. It wasn't like, oh, okay, now we're going to excavate with toothbrushes. It's like, no, we did something that was very reasonable and there was nothing else there. We also had one of the local Native American monitors come on at that point, which was great. And I, I really loved hanging out with him. He was just cool. And we would just hang out and talk and laugh. And it's nice in those times when you have another person to talk with. Now, one of the downers was when I went back to the city planning meeting, they were not joking about Antiques Roadshow anymore. They proceeded to try and blame me for like the 50 days that they were behind. And that's that moment if you're a monitor where monitors are often seen as like the lowest end job. But in that moment, it's the highest end job where you have to argue cogently and be like, no, you're incorrect. I haven't burned any kind of time like that. We both know that these 50 days behind have to do with completely different things that has nothing to do with archaeology. Right. And you'll be firm because it's a test. They want to see if they can blame you for everything, because as we all know, developers, when they die, all go to hell. So I continued my job in L.A. and some of the digging was actually really cool. They had dug these massive 120 foot deep, huge circles in the earth. I don't know. They were like 50 feet across and like 120 feet deep. And I was able to go to the bottom of those, which is really, really freaky and wild. They had a digging. And the reason why they did those at each of the six blocks was they had a digging machine that would grind across. Because think of it as they're putting a huge like 12 foot wide pipe that goes across at 120 feet. So you have these six spots where you have to dig down and make sure the machine is in the right spot. But going through that and just seeing the layers of stuff, and seeing like the geology. And in LA, as you go down too, I was able to find some pine cones, right? From, as you can tell, the Pleistocene, right? Maybe it's 100,000 years old or this kind of thing. So in that moment, you have to know a bit of paleontology as the archaeologist. And the pine cones were obviously old. They were like carbonized. They were black. That was really, really neat. So again, one of those things where you can stay positive is kind of learning new stuff or taking the time to add to your knowledge, you know, as you work on these jobs that can be draining and boring. I also recommend having something else you can kind of write to yourself. I would write little screenplays because I also have like an interest in film and this kind of stuff. So whatever it may be, I do also recommend on those long monetary days to have something else that you can do while you're standing there. You know, I knew a guy, one of the, one of the other guys I worked with, he wrote poetry. And again, this just keeps your mind fresh. You know, you're not missing anything. We know sometimes the machines stop or sometimes it, they're digging somewhere where there's nothing. So we can balance as we go. 
I remember 9-11 happened while I was on that job. And I remember the day I didn't go in to downtown L.A., of course, because there were tall skyscrapers in downtown L.A. And I was working kind of right there. It's just a, a moment that I remember from that job. Oh, the 9-11 day of of staying home. So that took me to about, oh, obviously 2001. By that point, I was just starting grad school for my PhD. And so right about then, I had to talk to my employers and be like, hey, I'm starting this PhD. I cannot work 40 hours a week anymore. And I've been doing it again for the better part of two years. And because I was a good employee, they were like, whatever, Andrew, will work with you. So at that point, I would go to school on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I'd work CRM like Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays. It was a schedule like that. I can't remember exactly, but that's what I would do. And I would have these little projects that I'd go on uh, and work on and sort of help out with similar to the downtown L.A. one. Some monitoring. Sometimes they'd bring me into the lab. And I'd work in there on Mondays, Wednesdays. I learned a lot about historic bottles because they'd had a project. I was not on this project for the excavation part, but they had a bunch of bottles from like the 1920s that time in their lab. And so I spent a lot of time organizing those. And I, I really enjoyed learning about that stuff. And I used so funny. I used the knowledge that I learned in California on historic bottles several years later in Belize, because we actually found a historic site on top of one of the smaller Maya mounds. It was a historic logging site. And I was able to analyze that site because of the knowledge I'd gained through CRM. And actually, the paper I wrote for that, which is 20 years old or whatever at this point, is one of my most cited papers, just because it's this funny little side thing that not a lot of people do. You know, if you're going to Belize, you're probably working on the ancient Maya. But there's this little paper I did on logging from the 1920s based on the artifacts, little logging camp. So again, see what you can learn, you know, in these jobs. By the end, by the end, I, I mean, 2004, the summer to fall of 2004, that's when I got my full-time job as a college professor at Moore Park College. So in those last years, the stage three for me was working like two days a week on little local projects, the glass bottles. I was able to work at Campo de Cahuenga, which is in downtown LA, which is where the treaty was signed, where the Mexicans gave up California to the Americans, a super, super important place in history. And I remember working there for a few weeks and I was by myself where we had to do these little excavations. And I was just doing this little excavation thing. I was basically running a one man little archaeology project there. My friends were doing it, too, but I did it on, let's say, Mondays and Wednesdays. Right. And that was a really cool experience, just learning about local history I had a little one up at Columbia State Park, which is in the gold country of the Sierras. I'm going up there. Again, little jobs, a couple days. The Columbia one, I think, was over the summer, so I could go for a week or something. Uh, while I was getting my PhD just starting, I took a bunch of historic preservation classes at UC Riverside, and those helped me so much. Again, I would have never taken those classes except that I knew they were good because of my CRM experience. 
some of the other students and some of the other professors at Riverside thought I was a bit weird for taking these historic preservation classes, but I knew they would push my career forward. And they totally did. And then that summer of 2004, I had, again, a couple other gigs. I'd happened to have a local CRM job in Moorpark, California, where they were building a bunch of new homes, where thankfully I found nothing. And I do remember a Friday in the late summer where I left the job, put my steel-toed boots and my hat, my hard hat, in a box, and then the weekend came, and that Monday, I was a college professor. So a total shift from CRM archaeologist to college professor over the weekend. And when we come back, some tips and tricks that I learned in CRM archaeology. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey, podcast fans. I've got to talk to you about drinking water. As an archaeologist, I've been on surveys where we had to drink three to five liters of water every day. That's 1.3 gallons, just to basically not die. Sometimes that water just doesn't hydrate you as quickly as you're using it. That's why we've partnered with Liquid IV. The small packets make it easy to take one with you to work, to work out, or on any adventure. I like the strawberry lemonade and lemon lime ones the best. Just put one stick of Liquid IV into 16 ounces of water and get hydrated two times faster than with just water alone. And now with our partnership, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code CRMARC at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration Today using promo code CRMARC at liquidiv.com. Hello and welcome back to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 266. And we are hanging out with your solo host, Andrew Kinkella, and I am just talking about my experiences in CRM. And with this last bit here, I just like to talk about sort of the good and the bad of CRM, what I learned and what helped me out and kind of ideas for all of us in terms of what to just make life a little bit better as you work in the world of CRM. So we can start we can start on top with the good, you know, and then we'll move to the bad, which is the fun part. So what good things did I get out of CRM, out of my time in that? I would say, first and foremost, a much better handle on local archaeology and local history. That's huge. Unfortunately, very difficult to find classes at a college level about that kind of stuff, you know, unless you live on the Nile, then you're like, oh, yeah, I could find a class in Egyptology. But in terms of local, like for us in in the United States, like really focused local indigenous cultures, right, to learn about that. And then also really focused local history of like the last 200 years or that kind of thing. That stuff I really value and I really feel like I got a leg up, you know, based on my time in CRM on that stuff. Also, the friends, man, and the people you meet, you you meet some really interesting people. <laughs> it, 
interesting in terms of, wow, this person is cool. This person is a lifelong friend. Also interesting in terms of like, that person is weird. And what I mean by that is, especially on jobs where it's out in the field, you know, you'll meet people who obviously can't really have a nine to five job in an office situation. They just can't. They're just too wild. They're just too out there. But it is a trip, you know, meeting those people and just sort of experiencing them. So the, the friends I've made, you know, the, the, the people who I met, that, that part was great. You meet people who are stone cold professionals. You meet people who you want to use as mentors or as models. I think that's almost more important. Models for your own career. Like you meet people and you go, oh, they're doing it right. I, I should do it like that. And so I remember meeting people like that. That was awesome. Meeting people in the local native community. Those guys have been so cool to me over the years. And I just have enjoyed my time with them, you know, where we just hang out. You're both there at the site. So, hey, man, better to become friends. And I've always enjoyed just working with the native community. It's always gone great. It always adds such a nice bit to the job. The other good is just learning a skill set in archaeology that you don't necessarily get in the academic side, working to a timetable. The academic side tends to be, not always, but tends to be, much more open in terms of time or in terms of when is the final report going to be written. Was there ever a final report written? You know, in CRM, it's very much like you have two weeks and then in week three, we're going to do this. And then in, by week five, we better have this. You know, and so working to a timetable, working in, in an economical fashion, I think is is a really, really great skill set that that I enjoy. And also, I mean, another part of the good is just the outdoorsy freedom of working in CRM. You know, it's nice to be outside. It's nice. to work. When I think back to those projects, it's like I can feel it on my skin. I can still smell it. You know what I mean? I, it's like it, when you take a breath, look, if I do it right now, if I think of a project, when I like if I think of working out in Blythe and in Yuma on the California, Arizona border and I go like this, if I go, I can like smell it. You know, when I think about it, I can smell the desert in that case or I can smell the sort of ocean air of Camp Pendleton. You know, that part's great. And I mean, I can smell the streets of L.A. too. <laughs> so. But that aspect of it is really, really nice. And of course, even on its worst day in CRM, you can still label yourself as an archaeologist. I am an archaeologist and I am doing archaeology. And that is very positive. You know, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, yeah, I'm doing this thing that not everyone does. So that's some of the good. And I'm sure there's more good um, learning trying to learn, I should say, about writing final reports and that kind of stuff. You know, that that was also nice. That was that was a good experience. Now the bad. And actually, speaking of final reports, here's something I noticed. A bad experience for me was people above me trying specifically to not give me certain skill sets because through those years, I'm like finishing my master's degree. Then I have a master's degree. Then I'm starting to work on my PhD. Like I'm obviously kind of doing well. And then 
I know that there were people out there who thought, hey, I don't have a master's degree. That guy does. If I give him this knowledge, then what do I have? He has everything, you know, and I came up against that brick wall several times. Like I really wanted to learn the intricacies of like writing a final report, which I did bits and bobs of. I, I, I wrote like negative reports and stuff and I helped a little on some others, but I wish I had much more experiences on that. The secret black art of bidding for a job. Oh, they would never tell me that, you know, just because they didn't want me to start my own firm. <laughs> so that was the negative part. You know, sometimes there's that silly, jealous, infighting crap. I think what hurts people early on is that feeling of this is it. That kind of rudderlessness where... Let's say you're a monitor and you're just going out every day and you're like, man, OK, I went to college. I dreamed of being an archaeologist. Now I am one. And what that equals is sitting here in this dusty diesel fume construction site, staring down at a hole where I know there's not going to be anything. And I'm going to have to do this for a month. You know, that that's the hardest part. There's like a depression that can kind of come in. You know, now, oh, and after that, I can now sit alone in this crappy hotel room and then just watch TV for a while. And then tomorrow, more of the same. That's the hard part. There's a depressing aspect to it. The pay can get you down. Although I've noticed that the pay is getting better and I do think it will continue to get better in the next years the next decade or so so i'm guardedly optimistic about that but man back in the day you know the pay was crappy and now it's slightly not as crappy as before it's better but it's still you know it still should be more than it is so the pay can get you down you'll see other people doing other things you're like dude what am i doing you know that can, that can be tough and then finally i would say off the top of my head it can ravage your body if you are not smart about things. You know, if you're doing this for years and years and years, you can mess up your joints. You can be in the sun too much. You can totally mess up your skin just by getting sunburned, not wearing sunscreen, you know? And so you do want to really take care of your body health wise. You're just there in your hotel room and you're just going to like McDonald's all the time. You know, you're just eating crappy food. That's a huge part that I think we don't talk about enough is how to kind of protect and preserve your own body and your own health, both mentally while you're sitting alone in your hotel room and physically, a huge thing. So those are some of the bad, those, when I think back, the, the worst bits as I go through my mind are like people who were trying to keep me down, the pay and the rudderlessness of like, is this it? So what to do? What can we do to help ourselves out? In those times. And here's some things that I thought helped me. First, talk to other people. Talk to other people on your crew. Make friends. Talk to people who work for other firms. Get a feeling for what it's like in other places. Because one of the big things about CRM is that you switch firm to firm to firm. Again, in my time in CRM, God, I probably worked for, I don't know, eight firms, nine. I don't know. I can't even remember all their names. You know, but talk to people in other firms because chances are actually that you will feel like there's 
a glass ceiling in the firm you're at. You're going to feel like, okay, I've gotten to this point. They will define you as a certain thing. You're like, oh, you are a digger or whatever it is. You know, you are the surveyor, whatever it is. And then they just will never let you move up. You know what I mean? The only way to move up is to switch firms and to give them just be honest. If you get another gig with a firm, just be like, look, I have this other gig with this other firm. I would love to stay with you, but you need to give me this. And if they say no, screw them. Go to the next one. It's that simple. And while I say it's that simple, it's also hard because we also have this feeling of like that we can't let the firm down, you know, which is like silly. But we have this feeling of like we need to help them out. No, you don't. It's a business deal. If they're not giving you what you need and what you're worth, leave. Now, with that said, you also have to understand what you're worth. You have to be realistic. I, when in doubt, I would say that people tend to underrate their skill set. But I've also seen the flip side, especially with younger people where they overrate. And you're like, dude, no, you don't have the skill set. <laughs> Sorry, man. You are not a superhuman. So be really conscious of what you're good at, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, where you can improve, where you can move forward, right? Organize your future a little bit. And what I mean by that is all of this will be less depressing if you have a focus. Where do you ultimately want to go with this? And don't just tell me, I just like being an archaeologist. I just like working in the dirt. That is not an answer. You going to do that for 40 years? Like you want to think as, you know, okay, five years from now, where do I want to be? 10 years from now, where do I want to be? It's that cliche hackneyed stuff, but it totally is worth thinking about. Write it down. I used to do this kind of stuff and it really helped. Keep a journal. So helpful in this stuff. But write down, what do you want? What do you want with the CRM? Because you can't just blame CRM for your problems. You know what I mean? It's a two-way street. It can suck. I mean, the pay can suck. They can like be jerks. But you are an active person too. You can help yourself out, right? Keep learning about local culture. The more you learn, the better. That's where you can really, really Beat the people in the academic world because so often they don't learn the local culture. You do it. You will be better than them. Be so good that they have to deal with you. I love that line. Not a week goes by where I don't think about that. When I want to be successful in my own archaeology stuff, just be so good that they have to deal, you know, that they need you. Right. And if they don't, screw them and go somewhere else. Like, be that good. It's up to you. Be active in all this, right? I think you can get that from what I'm saying. You can't just be passive like, well, they'll they'll uh, they'll raise my they'll raise my hourly pay at some point. No, they won't. Not unless you complain. Why would they? Learn though, right? Read the local reports, read books. Watch out for your health. As I talked about before, and that takes time. Read books on health. You know, read books on nutrition, learn things about how to protect your skin and protect your joints and your body when you have an outdoorsy kind of job and have a focus. That's really all this to wrap it up. You know, have a focus. That's something that I did reasonably kind of sort of well. I knew I always wanted to be a college professor 
in the more community college world. I knew I wanted to be someone who interacted with the public, right? The, underneath it all, who had an audience who interacted with the public. And there are even portions of CRM where you can do that. And that can even, you can fill that void even if you're giving, giving local lectures uh, with, at local meetings or even like with the local city groups and stuff that you might have to deal with a lot. If you have that skill set, you might be really good in terms of dealing with local city planners and city officials and stuff and stuff in the CRM world. So think about that focus of your life, right? You got one life. Like think about the focus, think about where you want to be. Think about what you can get out of CRM. What can you get out of it? Think if you want to stay in it for your career or not, you know, or you want to keep it as like a side hustle. You want to do it Mondays and Wednesdays only. You know, that kind of stuff. Those are choices that can work for you. So with that, I hope this has been helpful for you guys. You can always get in touch with me if you have any questions on CRM or questions on my experiences. Actually, the I find the best way to get in touch with me is, is to leave a comment on my YouTube channel. Kinkella teaches archaeology because I see those comments all the time and I can just easily type back to you in that world. You can leave a comment on any of the videos. It doesn't even matter. Like, I'll just see the comment and that's cool. With that, again, I hope this is helpful. I've enjoyed my time in CRM. I learned a lot and I'm thinking that one of these days I might be back with that. Have a good day, my friends. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archpodnet.com slash podcast. Please comment and share anywhere you see the show. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or just email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Support the show and the network at arcpodnet.com slash members. Get some swag and extra content while you're there. Send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.